All right. Well, good morning, church. It's good to see you guys this morning. And uh, I am fortunate enough to be able to give you, be able to give you the first message of 2024 here at the church at Lake Mead. So no pressure, right? Uh, let's start the year well. <clears throat> so this morning, um, what I would like to do with you is talk about something uh, that is becoming more near and dear to my heart. I'm sure you guys are have started to wade through the different messages that are flooding your inboxes on, uh, you know, trying to capitalize on those New Year desires, whether it's going to the gym or new diets or maybe even some elements of your character that that people are trying to capitalize on these new desires of of 2024. And one of the things that I would like to do with you is to talk to you about something that might not even have you be doing more or planning more, um, but it's actually doing less and planning to do less. And in a, in, a, in a sermon, it's just a one-time sermon that I'm calling a rested development. You'll notice that's kind of a play on words. The term is arrested development. And that can refer to people who have stunted their growth in some way, shape, or form. And I want to talk to you guys this morning about something I'm learning, and it's about the role of rest as a normal rhythm of our life and how I think that plays a role in our development, in our relational development with the Lord. So I'm calling this a rested development. So hopefully you guys over this Christmas break have experienced some form of rest. Yes, hopefully yeah, you're with me and we all, you know, are kind of going back to work and, and the new year and the, the holidays are wrapping up. But one of the interesting things to me that I've been just recently thinking about, you know, I read it in a book and they, they mentioned that if you look out everywhere, if you look out at the observable world, there seems to be a normal kind of rhythm to all of creation. And human beings are the ones that seem to like be out of sync with the rest of creation. Have you guys ever thought about that or seen that, right? You think about like the tides of the ocean and they come in and they go out and there's this specific rhythm. You look at the seasons and, and some places of the world are, you know, graced with four seasons. Do we have four seasons here? I'm new to Las Vegas. I don't think we have four seasons here. I'm from Northern Utah where we get real four seasons, right? And there's these like normal rhythms within uh, the created order. And I think creation is actually trying to tell us something that there is structure and rhythm to life. And when things function within this rhythm, they will function in a way that God designed for them to function. And so what I want to do with you guys this morning is I want to talk to you about this word. And you might have a reaction to this word. When I say the word Sabbath, What's the first thing that comes to your mind? What's the reaction that you have, right? Some of you might have zero association with the word Sabbath. You're like, I don't know, sounds religious, right? Um, some of you might have a negative connection to the word Sabbath. If you were like me and you were raised in an incredibly religious home, I go Sabbath equals restrictive, right? Sabbath equals that which I cannot do and a robber of all joy. <laughs> That's kind of my association with Sabbath being raised in a religious culture. Um, and you might have some similar kind of reaction. 
You might have a reaction if you're even remotely kind of proficient in Bible. You're like, yeah, but Sabbath, that's like Old Testament stuff. We're in the New Testament and those things don't apply to us anymore. And, you know, to a certain degree, I would agree with that. But I think that if we, again, we look at just the rhythms of creation, we could say, I think creation is actually trying to tell us something. And what I want to do with you this morning is I want to get a little bit more specific than what creation would tell us. And I want to look at what God's word, just briefly, what God would tell us in relation to Sabbath. And my goal for you this morning is to hopefully whet your appetite to see, wow, you know, I think this is something that we should actually be practicing on a regular rhythmic basis, just like creation does. So we're going to start in Genesis chapter 1, because both Old Testament and New Testament, they go to the same place when they're talking about Sabbath. They point us back to Genesis chapter 1. And so we're going to start in Genesis chapter 1, and then we're going to look at some observations, and we're going to fast forward to the New Testament to briefly look at the connection that the New Testament authors make to Sabbath. And I think we're going to see a similar connection. And along the way, hopefully, um, we will come up with some good applications as to what is Sabbath, why is it beneficial to us, and what do we mean when we say rest, okay? So... First off, we're going to start in uh, Genesis chapter 1. Genesis chapter 1. And the first thing I want to say in relation to Sabbath is that Sabbath, it's not just rest. It's a certain kind of rest, right? Because we can come up with all sorts of definitions for words that then, you know, what rest means to you means something that to me right? And it can become this relative kind of definition of of what rest is. Now tell me if this has been your experience. Have you ever had like a weekend where you're like, oh man, I'm so looking forward to a restful weekend. And then you go back to work on Monday morning and you're like, I feel like I did not get any rest whatsoever, <laughs> right? And, and I think that's because there is actually a specific kind of rest that God intended for us as human beings to take that will actually charge our batteries. And it has a lot of implications on our work and on our health as human beings. Okay, so in Genesis chapter one, we're gonna go there. In the first chapter of Genesis, uh, if you've read it before, if you haven't, I suggest you go read it and you'll see that God creates the world in this six day cycle, okay? In the six day cycle. And then it's on the sixth day that he says, all right, we're gonna do something really special. He says, we're gonna make mankind in our image. And he makes them in the image of God, male and female, he makes them. And so this first verse that I wanna read, this is the first thing that God says to Adam and Eve, who've been created in God's image. This is their marching orders. This is the very first thing that comes out of God's mouth to Adam and Eve. In verse 28, it says this, God blessed them. Isn't that cool? The very first thing that comes out of God's mouth to the created man and woman is blessing. That's our God. Like first and foremost, like this tells us a lot about God. God is a blessing God. It says, God blessed them. God said to them, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it, have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds and the heavens, um, over every living thing that moves 
on the earth. And so some people would call this the cultural mandate to cultivate creation. So God did all this work. And then the moment he creates Adam and Eve, he says, these are your marching orders. Now I want you to picture something with me. Okay. Adam and Eve have been created. How much new life do they have in them? Tons of a new life, right? They are, they are ready to go. Could you imagine being Adam and Eve and like meeting God for the first time, receiving this blessing, seeing everything that God had created. And God says, I have given this to you so that you can be fruitful and multiply. And that includes having children, right? And so if you're Adam and you've got a new bride and he says, multiply, it's like, uh, you don't got to tell me twice, right? Like, let's go, let's do this. Let's multiply. Let's get to work, right? Look at this beautiful garden. Let's cultivate it. Let's go. But one of the first things that that God does, it says, what does he do on day seven? It says that he rests on day seven. He does nothing on day seven. And the question in my mind is, what is Adam and Eve doing on the seventh day? When they're ready to go, right? They've been born into a, a created order that has been given to them. And I think that the next thing that God actually says in verse 29, it kind of keys us in to what they were doing, quote unquote, doing on the seventh day rest. In verse 29, it says this, and God said, behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of all the earth, every tree with seed and its fruit, you shall have them for food. So again, this is the first thing that Adam is hearing. On the end of the second day, his first moments of existence, he's saying, okay, look, behold, look at this. Look at everything that God has given us, Eve. Isn't this amazing? Let's go. And then in chapter two, it says, and God rested. What were they, what were they doing? What did they do for that seventh day? And I think this is partly what they were doing just simply beholding everything that God had made. In fact, in relation to the seventh day, it says God beheld everything that he had done, everything that he had created. And he said, this is very good, right? And I think this should key us in on the kind of rest that God actually has for us to take. It's not just like work hard so you can play hard, right? It's not just work hard so you can check out. This is actually a time span where we can say, yes, I want to behold everything that God has done. And sometimes that even means get outside, behold creation. And note the first thing that he says, what have I given you? Food, right? How many of you guys like food? Like we love food, like we like food, we like to eat. And so I would imagine the first, you know, 24 hour period of Adam and Eve's life, not only are they just looking and beholding and enjoying, they're eating too. They're like, really, I can eat this? And he's like, yeah, take it, try it. And they're like, oh my gosh, this is wonderful, right? And they're just eating and they're enjoying. What a first impression. I mean, think about that. What a first impression that Adam and Eve have of the person of God. You know, social scientists say that we make up our um, ideas about somebody in the first 100 milliseconds of meeting them. So you have a preconceived idea in 100 milliseconds when you meet somebody, you, it's like we can't help but just kind of have an assessment of somebody. Now think about Adam's first 100 milliseconds in relation to God. He's having a pretty great first impression of who God is. 
And he hasn't even done anything yet, right? And so this is what I think the rest that God wants us to take isn't even so much about resting from work that's been done well, which is true. Like we should work hard and it does affect our rest. I personally, I can rest well when I know that I've worked well, right? But this kind of rest is different. God is saying, this isn't even about you resting in the work that you've done. I want you to meditate on and think about the work that I've done. That's what God is saying. And when you rest, I want you to consider that. Even in the things that you've done, how have I provided for you? How have I given your gifts and talents and abilities and times and talents and treasures and all of that? How have I given you all this? And Sabbath is really about taking a step back and saying, God, look at what you've done. Look at what you've done. It's not even about me. Look at what you have done. And this is what Adam is doing on his first days of existence, Adam and Eve, first days of existence. But then as we know how the story goes, what happens, right? Genesis 3 happens and sin enters the world and this kind of rest is broken. And we see sin enter the world and with it, we see slavery and we see labor and we see toil. And for most of us, we're like, yep, that's my existence (laughs) is the sweat of my brow and toiling. And it seems like my work dominates me. It seems like my work owns me. It seems like the anxieties of my heart, they own me. And that seems to be our existence, right? And this is why God started and set in motion this plan to send Jesus, because I think God still wants for us to experience the same kind of rest that Adam did in the beginning. And so long story short, as you go through the whole story of the Bible, God starts one nation from one family, and he gives them land, and he gives them laws, and a whole bunch of miracles occur to bring this nation into existence for the sole purpose of bringing one man into creation, which we just celebrated during Christmas time, right? The birth of Jesus Christ coming into this world to save people who are in slavery to sin. And he gave a lot of pictures of that through the Old Testament and a lot of preparation to kind of prime the heart for the, this great deliverance. But then one of the greatest discourses in the New Testament is in Hebrews chapter 4 in relation to Sabbath. And we're not going to read the whole thing. I would encourage you guys to go read Hebrews chapter 4 and look at what God has to say about Sabbath. Okay, but for some of you who are proficient in Bible, you'd say, yeah, but Sabbath commands, that was Old Testament stuff, and we don't really live in Old Testament stuff anymore. Jesus came, fulfilled the law, and now the Old Testament laws are obsolete. We live in this grace period with Jesus, right? And I think the author of Hebrews would actually make another argument. The author of Hebrews is actually writing to Hebrew people who are being tempted to go back to these Old Testament commands, some of them including Sabbath, and he's saying don't go back to those commands because they are not going to provide for you everything that God designed for you to experience, right? And this is the argument of the author of Hebrews. I just want to look at one passage that I, for me is kind of like the nail in the coffin. He says there is a Sabbath rest to be experienced. It's in chapter four and it's in verse one. He says, therefore, and this is in light of everything that he's, he's written, he says, the promise of entering his rest still stands. 
right? This is after Jesus has come. This is after the resurrection. This is that time period where we are believers in Christ. And he's saying there's still this, this experience that we can have with God where we enter into this rest. It still stands. And he actually gives a warning. He says, let us fear lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. This is the author saying, look, Sabbath, I think it's still for today, guys. And there is something that we can experience that Adam experienced resting in the work of God. And so if we were to ask the question, um, you know, is Sabbath about resting in Jesus? Yes, absolutely. And that's what the author of Hebrews is telling us. There is this entrance into this relational experience with the person of God through the person of Jesus Christ, where we get to do the same thing that Adam did. What did Adam do? He rested in the work of God. God created everything originally. And then on day one of his created existence, he says, look at everything I've done and enjoy. And so in Christ, it's a similar kind of thing where Christ has done the entire work for us to experience a relationship with God. Christ has done everything necessary. And he says, I want you like Adam to just on your first moments of new birth and the new created order, just enjoy everything that Jesus has done for you. I want you to enjoy the work of God in the face of Jesus Christ. I want you to enjoy the fact that you have been set free from sin, that you have been forgiven from sin. One day you will be delivered from the presence of sin altogether. Just like, yes, enjoy that. And that's what the author of Hebrews is saying. There is a experiential rest that we can have. But the question for me, this is just how my brain works. I go, okay, but is that like a one-time thing though? When I receive Christ, I believe in Christ, I believe in everything he's done for me, and I enter into that initially, is it just like a one and done, all right, sweet? I, I don't think so. I think that it's a rhythmic, continual, habitual thing that we do. For some, it's daily. For some, it's, you know, a actual 24-hour time period where we'd say, you know what, no to work and yes to this kind of resting, okay? Um, if you look... It, chapter 3, verse 14 of Hebrews, he says, um, for we have come to share in Christ. So if you're a believer in Christ, you've come to share in Christ, in this experience or relationship. He says, if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. Right? He's saying there's a condition here. He's saying we are going to uh, enjoy our relationship with Christ if we hold fast our confidence that we have in Christ all the way to the end. And I don't know about you guys, but when I read that, I go, okay, so what can I do on a regular basis that is going to help me hold on to my faith, my trusting in the finished work of Jesus, and hold fast to that confidence firm to the end? And you know what I think it is? Sabbath. I think it's entering into a regular time of rest where we make specific proclamations by faith in who God is during this time period where we're resting. And that leads me to my next point. There are two passages in the um, Old Testament that are really like the main passages for Sabbath commands. And it's quoted in the Old Testament. It's actually quoted here in Hebrews chapter 3 and 4, where he points us back to creation and these two 
these two passages are in both in Exodus and in Deuteronomy. And so what I want to do is I want to kind of do a side-by-side of these two passages, and they actually tell us a lot about where our mind is supposed to go when we practice Sabbath or when we practice rest. So the first passage is in Exodus chapter 20. Okay, Exodus chapter 20, this is where we find the Ten Commandments, right? This is where, these are the, the top ten, some people call it the ten words of God. This is Exodus chapter 20, and in verse 8, he's saying this to the Old Testament people. He says, remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. That's one verse, right? Verse 8. But then in verse 11, this is the reason. He's giving a reason. In verse 11, because in six days the Lord made heaven and earth the sea and all that is in them, and then rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and he made it holy. He's like, look, there's something unique about this seventh day rest. God made it holy. That means to be devoted to something, to be devoted with a purpose. There is a purpose for this day that God has set aside. Right, But what he says in Exodus is he points to creation. He says, look, God made everything. There's work involved. And then he rested. But in Deuteronomy chapter 5, this is right before Israel goes into the land to take it. And Moses, like a good like coach, he's like, all right, I want to tell you guys some things. And he says this in relation to the command to Sabbath. In Deuteronomy chapter 5, verse 12, he says, Observe the Sabbath day, keep it holy as the Lord commanded you. But in verse 15, he gives the motivation. And this is the motivation. He says, You shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt. And the Lord your God brought you out from there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath day. This is a different kind of motivation. Same command, right? Honor the Sabbath. Honor it. It's for you. It's a gift of God to you. Rest, right? Why wouldn't we want to rest, by the way? I don't know, but here we go. Like, this is motivation for you. I want you to remember that you were a slave and God brought you out. Therefore, rest. You were a slave. Slavery's past tense. And now I want you to rest. And so if we put these two things side by side, I think this is what we could see. There's a, can you put that slide up for me? Um, in Exodus, this is what God is saying. God owns the work, okay? In Deuteronomy, it says God owns the person. And these are the proclamations I think that we are making by faith that gives us a kind of rest, that God wants for us to experience. How many of you guys are tempted to think that you are the owner of the work that you do? You are the owner. You're the owner of the time, sometimes even the owner of the people or the employees. You're the owner of the business. You own it. And what the Exodus passage says is, wait a second, God created everything, right? God owns everything. He owns the cattle on a thousand hills. Everything belongs to God. There is nothing that has been given to you that you have that has not been given to you by God. That's what the Exodus passage is reminding us about this kind of rest, that you need to take some time. You need to stop working and you need to remind yourself that this work does not own you. Okay, and that's the second thing. Deuteronomy says God owns you. 
God owns the person. God owns the work and God owns the person. These are the two main, the emphases on these two passages in the Old Testament in relation to Sabbath. And if you just think about it for a second, how much anxiety have you experienced over the category of work alone? right? Am I alone in that? Right? Like how much sleep have you lost just over work, relationships in the workplace, employees in the workplace, um, boss, maybe you are an employer, boss relationships, like uh, drama, all of that stuff, deadlines, accomplishing things. Uh, It's just anxiety, 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 right? In fact, when I was younger, I used to work in this coffee shop and I was super intrigued. I worked with the coffee shop owner. She started this, you know, this business and I was just curious. I'm like, hey, so what is one of the most challenging things that you've experienced as a small business owner? And what was interesting to me was she said, she's like, you know, it wasn't even starting the business. The the greatest challenge I had was letting go of control the moment I hired my first employee. The moment I hired my first employee, that was the greatest challenge to her heart, was letting go and trusting the person that she hired so she wouldn't be a micromanager. And she's saying, you know, many businesses either succeed or fail based on the ability for a boss to trust their employees. And I think that even speaks to the heart of why God would say, look, you've got to trust me. (laughs) You've got to trust me. I've got this. I've got this. And how many of you guys, even when you take a break, it's like you just can't check out from work. You can't. I mean, statistics would say, I think it's actually close to 50% of Americans actually don't take a break. So 50% of Americans do. And of the 50% of Americans that actually take a, a rest or a vacation or a break, there's like 40% of them that cannot check out of work when they're on break. That's bad. <laughs> That's not good. And this is God saying, look, you need to learn how to trust me. You need to learn how to rest. You need to make these proclamations by faith that your work does not own you. I do. And I have it. You need to make a proclamation that you are no longer a slave to your job. Right? Your job does not own you. And we need to make these proclamations. And I think that Sabbath is really designed by God, given to us as a gift from God to take a step back and say, God, you own me. My work does not. My fears do not. My anxieties do not. You own me. You own my work. And my last point, and really, if you're going to remember anything, like this is what I hope you remember in relation to the kind of rest and the purpose of this rest that we get to have, is that Sabbath is really about producing joy in God's presence that will fuel every single hardship that you go through in life. I think this is what Sabbath is really about. It's really about fueling our joy. You know, some social scientists call it our joy tank. We have a tank. And it's, our lives are actually meant to run on this tank and it's supposed to be filled with joy. And when that tank runs empty, when you have no joy, then your life starts to reflect so, right? And Sabbath is primarily about filling this joy tank so that we can experience or endure 
all of the hardships that life has to throw at us, right? And here's the beauty of what God promises is nothing that happens in your life, any hardship is outside of God's ability to transform you and make you joyful in it, right? This is one of the beauties of God's promised work for you as a believer in Christ. Nothing that happens to you has the ability to absolutely rob you of your joy in Christ. And I think that to the degree we practice this Sabbath is to the degree that we will have healthy responses to hard situations that come up all the time in our life, right? And so there's actually a, a, a book I'm reading. It's co-authored by this guy named Jim, Wild, Jim Wilder, and he is a psychologist, okay? And so he does counseling in his, in, in his clinic. He deals with severe trauma. Okay, severe trauma. <clears throat> and he came to terms, this is what he would say, he came to terms with the reality that in order to treat severe cases of trauma, guess what? Hospitalization is almost inevitable because of the hard work of doing things like healing trauma. And so they decided they were going to change their approach. And based on something they learned, they changed their approach and they saw hospitalization drop down to zero. Zero cases of people needing to go to the hospital and dealing with their trauma. And you know what they did, their approach that they changed? They said, we're going to focus on their joy level before we ask them to do anything related to healing their trauma. We're going to do some brain exercises and we're going to actually focus on filling their joy, starting with gratitude, moving to joy. And we're just going to spend some time helping them fill that fuel tank that's supposed to be filled with joy. And then we can move towards the hard stuff of healing trauma. And they saw hospital cases go down to zero. Because this is something I think God has hardwired into our brains is to function on joy. And I think that the Sabbath rhythm, receiving this kind of rest, taking a pause, ceasing, resting, and worshiping God in the midst of all of life and saying, you've got this, God, that is going to fill our joy tank. And we are going to be able to endure a lot of the things that life has to throw at us. He said this, joy helps us regulate hard emotions and endure suffering. Is it, do you guys experience that? Like to the degree that you have joy is to the degree that you will be able to endure suffering. And it actually reminded me of a passage in Hebrews where it says about Jesus, for the joy set before him, he did what? He endured the cross, right? And that is a proof text for me that this is true. That to the degree that we fill the joy tank in our life is to the degree that we will be able to handle hard situations in a healthy way, in a healthy way, right? And this is what God's heart is for us. And one of my favorite passages in scripture and it wasn't even until thinking about this sermon specifically that I went, oh my gosh, I've never really made that connection. That one of my favorite passages is in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15 and verse 16. And he says this after talking about this rest that is available to all believers. And he says, fear lest you have fallen short from reaching it, right? And he says this at the end of Hebrews chapter 4. He says, we do not have a high priest. He's talking about Jesus who is unable to sympathize with us in our weaknesses, 
but one who is in every respect, he's been tempted as we are yet without sin. So, and the next passage, he says, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. He's saying, this is the rest. This enter in, enter into the presence of God. And we can enter into the presence of God, experience that same kind of rest that Adam and Eve had in the beginning, where they just get to enjoy the finished work of Christ. We have a sympathetic high priest who has experienced all that life has to throw at him in his humanity. He's experienced that so that he can empathize with you, feel what you feel. Say, I know exactly what you're going through. I know the hardships. And by entering into God's presence, he's saying, I want you to be filled with joy in our relationship. I want you to be filled with joy in the fact that you can enter in at any point in time. And what I think helps is actually having a designated time during the week not going to get legalistic on this, but a specific time where you say, I am saying no to my work. I'm saying yes to thinking about God. I'm saying no to my work. I'm saying yes to spending time with my family. I'm saying no to work and I'm saying yes to eating good food and enjoying amazing relationships. I'm saying no to work and I'm saying yes to God in the form of enjoying the creation around me right? And I am not going to be a slave to my job. And God is saying, yes, and I will give you the joy to endure the next work week and the next work week and the next work week. This is what God's heart is for us. We can either experience arrested development where our growth is, is hindered, or we can experience a rested development, where in our rest, our re regular rhythmic of rest, we get to experience our joy being filled in relation to God, in relation to the special people that he's put in your life, investing in God, investing in them, and just resting with them in order to fuel your ability to endure everything that life has to throw at you. And so in closing, I actually want to do something with you. This is one of my recent tools that I guess has worked its way into my tool belt. And it was introduced to me um, by a mentor of mine, okay? And it's based on this concept of everything I've been talking about, that joy is like the fuel tank of your life. And there are so many things that, that create these leaks, right, in our fuel tank. And we need to plug them up and we need to fill our joint tank. And this is this exercise I want to do with you. It is actually a mental exercise meant to target the right side of your brain where joy is actually built. We can, you know, social sciences can point to this. And so what I want to do with you guys in the last few minutes that we have is I want to walk you guys through this exercise and maybe you can use it in your tool belt. So everybody just close your eyes in this room. Everybody just, just go ahead and we're going to take a deep breath. We're going to close our eyes. And what I want for you to do is I want you to picture a moment in your mind where you would say, I was, I was the most joyful. Like it could be in relation to a person. It's actually better if it is. 
in relation to a person, maybe maybe the birth of a child, maybe the at, at a wedding, maybe a birthday party. It d- doesn't even really matter. Just a moment of joy. Maybe you were outside. Maybe you were on a hike. Maybe you were with friends. And if you have that moment in your mind, we're just going to take about 30 seconds and I want you to really try to relive that moment in your mind. What were you feeling? Who was around you? Picture their face. That's important. Picture their face. People smiling. And I want you to pay attention to even some of the the responses that are going on, even right now as you think about that in your body, maybe a tear comes to your eye. Maybe you just get like goosebumps. Maybe it's like, man, pay attention to whatever is going on inside your physical body when you think about that moment when you were incredibly joyful. Now I want you to take a moment. Maybe your, maybe your moment is connected to God specifically. And maybe it's not, but I want you to take this moment right now. I don't want you to connect that moment to God. And just say in your heart, thank you, God, for giving me that moment where I had so much joy. And then I want you maybe right now, maybe later, to label that moment. Label it something. For example, I just went to the Grand Canyon with my family. It was amazing. I have moments of joy that I can picture in my mind, and I label that Grand Canyon. (laughs) And I have to pull that out of its file every once in a while and just sit for a moment, take five minutes during the week and just sit for a moment and think about that. And it fills me with joy. It fills me with joy. And I say, thank you, God, for that. Guys, this is a helpful exercise. You can do this as many times with so many different moments that you want to fill your journals with moments of joy. And if you take some time throughout the week to step back and say, I'm just going to fill my joy tank in the presence of God and thinking about the people that are so near and dear to me, I guarantee God will change how you approach your work week. I guarantee how he, he will change how you approach the relationships that you have. He will change the way that you treat people in the home, especially if those, those moments you're thinking of involve the people in your home. And when you're tempted to be the most frustrated with the people you care about the most, you draw that file out and you're like, just let me take 30 seconds. And you remember that moment and it fills you with joy in that person and it changes the way you address different situations you are in. Let's pray. Lord, I just want to thank you so much for coming to this place. God, for restoring us, giving us the opportunity to be restored to you 
when, when sin tried to steal you away from us, bringing in death, Lord, you came in and you took death and you said, I will not let death have its final, the final word. I will have the final word. And you came into this place and you said, I want to have a relationship with you. And Lord, I do just pray even right now that we would make a New Year's commitment, not just to do more, but maybe even do this more, to rest with you more, with this kind of rest that would shape 2024 in us, how we respond to different things. Lord, I pray that you would solidify this habit into our lives, this rhythm into our lives of regularly resting with you, God. We love you. Thank you so much for today, for your grace and your goodness and your presence and your kindness. We give you all praise and we give you all glory in Jesus' name. Amen.